baby's good to me, you know She's happy as can be, you know She said so I'm in love with her and I feel fine Baby says she's mine, you know She tells me all the time, you know She said so I'm in love with her and I feel fine I'm so glad that she's my little girl She's so glad she's telling all the world That her baby buys her things, you know He buys her diamond rings, you know, she said so. She's in love with me and I feel fine. She's in love with me and I feel fine. You're listening to Big Takeover Show and I'm feeling fine. Hope you are as well. I am feeling fine because it's Monday and I always feel good whenever I get to do the Big Takeover Show on RealPunkRadio.com, which is every Monday from noon. So right now, until 2.30 or so, whenever I can finish today's 30 songs. If you're new to the program, the 30 songs you're going to be hearing today with, uh, I think, only one exception, will be songs never played on this program before, even though this is show number 474 in as many Mondays. I like to keep it that way. There's just a gigantic universe of music that I can play for you, a lot of it brand new. So I never had the chance to play it for you. Plus a whole bunch of old songs I like that I've never gotten to before, including the song we're starting today's show. I think when you hear this, you'll understand why I felt like singing I Feel Fine, apart from the lyrical subject matter. If you know anything about that song, which topped the charts here in America at the end of 1964, at the end of the first year of Beatlemania, which I was talking about last week, we've hit that time in February where we have hit the 60th anniversary of the Beatles' first strong of America. And it continued out through the entire uh, year. In fact, it was just nobody's surprise that I Feel Fine went straight to number one, not only in um, England and in America, but about six other countries too, Canada, the Netherlands. It was just anything Beatle. People just snapped it up, and all their records were good, so... You know, it just sold millions of copies right from the get-go. But uh, the Beatles were, as I've often said on this program, ardent students of great American R&B, and they knew far more about it than most Americans did, not only then, but now. So if you're not a Beatlemaniac, and if you're not an absolute expert on them and know the origins of all their songs, you might not know that they almost completely stole the riff of I Feel Fine, at least John Lennon did, from a song that they've been covering in their sets back in 62, 63, 61, around there. A song that had come out in 1961, so three years before I Feel Fine, more or less a new single, by a guy named Bobby Parker. And I think what we should do is have me talk less and play the song for you so you can see for yourself. Tell me that the opening riff of uh, I Feel Fine, the main riff, is not taken from this song. You just add, basically, uh, the drum beat from Ray Charles' most famous song that everybody in England loved. Uh, Do you know the one I'm speaking of? 
the one called What I Say. And if you ask me, Bobby Parker was himself very influenced by Ray Charles' revolutionary What I Say when he wrote Watch Your Step. It's a basic blues riff, but it's played in a certain way that just knocked out people in Britain, especially the um, Rolling Stones and the Beatles and the Spencer Davis group and people like that, they just completely flipped over this guitar riff and this song. But the point of this is not just to be pedantic. The point of this is not just to say, oh, well, they got it from this. The point is, this is a great freaking record. And that's what I like to play for you every week. After this song by Bobby Parker, we're going to hear some new records by Ride and Beavis Frond, Mammoth Penguins, Gospel Beach in this set. And uh, another one from the recent reissue of Swear Driver, but let's just get it going here. So this is both history and it's just great music. It's Bobby Parker, his great single from 1961 on the Philadelphia label V-Tone. This song is called Watch Your Step. Oh, 
this if I can't see what it does?
you would only look into my eyes And you would see the truth within them lies That I am trying hard to bring us back together You try so hard to complicate our love But underneath it all it's pride, my love That's hurting us and keeping us apart If you'd only realize I've been happy with you once before Can't you let it be the same and more Without you fighting me, fighting me I start to wonder if it's worth it all But then I look at you and start to fall in love again Like every time before Did I say there was going to be 30 songs today? I lied. Well, not not intentionally. I just throw a bonus track in there once in a while. I decided because we heard the Hollies version of like every time before that uh, we had to hear the Everly Brothers version too. The Hollies actually wrote it, but they gave it to the Everly Brothers. If you know that story, uh, Graham Nash told it to me when I interviewed him for Big Takeover. I did a great Hollies interview with him a decade ago. And I definitely wanted to ask him about the record that the Everly Brothers did where they did all Hollies songs in 1966 called Two Yanks in England. The way Nash told it to me, uh, they had, uh, him and uh, Alan Clark, the Hollies, other prime lead singer, had uh, run into the Everly Brothers in the late 50s before the Hollies got going when they were just teenagers because the Everly Brothers were their absolute favorite recording artists in the all time, just massively influential on them. And they, they, they decided they might be staying at the best hotel in Manchester and just staked it out. And then when they were just about to give up, saying, this is ridiculous, we don't even know they're staying here, the, the brothers came around the corner and actually were really polite and friendly and talked to the very young Clark and Nash for like 20 minutes or something like that. And then not too many years after that, the Hollies were gigantic stars, and they were backstage at some gig in England. And the, the road manager insisted to Graham Nash that... Uh, that uh, Phil Everly was on the phone and he was like, get out of here, you know, stop playing with me. But when he got to the phone, it was very clearly (laughs) one of the Everly brothers. (laughs) Apparently they were in England and looking for some songs and they wanted to make a record. It's such a great story. It just can't be true, except that it is. Well, the Hollies did not cut like every time before. Like I said, they gave it to the Everly Brothers. But this is one of those rare cases where the pupils are actually much better than the master in this case. I mean, for some reason, the Everly Brothers did not put on one of their trademark harmonies. Only Phil sings on the Everly Brothers version of the song written by Clark Hicks and Nash like every time before. You can find it on Two Yanks in England. We just heard it. <laughs> 
I think that was a massive mistake, especially because the Hollies were known for three-part harmonies. So adding a third element, basically, to the great, great and absolutely influential pioneering harmonies that just set England afire coming from the American shores in the person of those two siblings, now both sadly dead. Well, sure enough, the Hollies version, which was cut around the same time, it did not come out for another 22 years until the release in 1988 of the Hollies Rarities album was a three-part harmony. Clark, Hicks, and Nash doing their absolute damnedest. I think apart from the birds, the best three-part harmonies in the world were from the Hollies, even better than the Beatles, although the Beatles would be almost tied for second. Just um, absolutely phenomenal. You know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash would be up there, too. But really, the Hollies are my favorite three-part harmonies. And you can see it on that song. <laughs> they thought it was a throwaway. They thought they'd given it to the Everly Brothers. They didn't even put it out. would have been anybody else's gigantic hit, I think. Well, I just thought of that song and thought I'd play it for you. It's so obscure, I think it's only been covered once, despite the Everly Brothers and eventually the Hollies versions coming out. Some Danish singer named Barnin put out one in 67 almost in real time it's just a fabulous tune and most of all those harmonies just kill me well before the hollies and the Everly brothers here on the big takeover show on real punk radio with your host jack rabbit that's me i thought i'd play a track by maggie gently uh i know i'm been the writer editor and publisher of that magazine for 44 years now so i'm hardly like spring chicken young guy but uh, i think one of the things i've never stopped doing since i was like five six years old is i've always been open to new artists that I'm not familiar with if they're doing something good. And Maggie gently impressed me with what I heard from her second album that's not out until June 7th. And I went back and played her first one, which was called uh, Peppermint from 2022, and her EP from 2020 called Good Cry. And I like what she's up to. I think her best work, though, might be this new single. The second album is not out till June 7th. Got to wait for a while for that one from the New Englander who's now moved to San Francisco in time to start her career. The album is going to be called Wherever You Want to Go, and the track we heard there, as you could probably fathom from the lyrics, is called Redecorate. So there's a, there's a new one. For, every, every week I play you some artists I've never played for you before, either from, from what I come across or when Elizabeth Kleesowitz comes across because she's always throwing stuff at me I don't know and impressing the heck out of me. But I was totally familiar with Mammoth Penguins, the group before that. We heard Species from another album not coming out in a little while. Uh, May, in fact, we have to wait two, three more months before their fourth album here appears. And the track we heard, Species, is the only one from that that's been released so far, just this week. That uh, very spry female vocalist is someone I've been following for a while. I love Emma Cooper. I've never met her. When I say I love her, I'm not in love with her. I just love her songs and her voice. There's something about it. It's very cheerful, very chipper, and yet her songs are not necessarily cheerful and chipper. She's uh, interesting and always writing interesting songs about relationships, going back to her previous band, which was Stanford Fair, uh, which she was the bassist for instead of guitarist singer. She was a bassist singer in Standard Fair. She also had a very good solo record now, so there's been about six, seven really good albums that she's written and sung that I just totally, totally rate. If you uh, can't wait 
for May for the album here. You can go back to the third album. It was five years ago. It's been a while since we had a Mammoth Penguins album. That one was a terrific one called There's No Fight We Both Can't Win. Gospel Beach, I played I played you a track from Wiggle Your Fingers a couple weeks ago, even though it's not out until April 26th. But now there's a second single I can play for you. We heard that. That was The Dropouts, part one and two, before Mammoth Penguins. And as I was saying a couple weeks ago, uh, this is apparently the final album, Wiggle Your Fingers, by Gospel Beach. It said that in both promo emails I've been sent so far. Whenever I see the word Gospel Beach in the subject matter, I open that email right away. Because I'm a fan of Brent Rademacher, not only his current group, but his former band, Beachwood Sparks, and even going back before that. The guy's always fantastic. But I still have not ascertained why it is that this is the final album. Uh, he sent me an email just saying hello, which is odd because I don't really know him that well. We've exchanged a few emails, but he seems like a really sweet guy, and he seems to like what I do, and I like what he does. So I guess it's fairly simple. But uh, I intend to answer that email when I finally have five minutes to myself and just finally put the question to him, why is the band quitting? Uh, can I talk you out of it? <laughs> I don't have any pull. I wish I did. I wish I could just unleash an edict from on high saying, you will not do that, Brent Rademacher. You will not break up such a good band. Well, I've been in my share of bands. They've broken up. There's all different kinds of reasons. So, and sometimes just bands run their course or things happen or people have falling outs. People just decide it's time to stop. Whatever the case, I hope to find out soon. But I'm sure there'll be more from Brent in some form, even if uh, this sticks. The Beavis Frond, on the other hand, is not going anywhere. He's not a band. He's a guy. So he can't break up. He can die, of course, or be uh, incapacitated. But uh, that's nothing I'm rooting for, because I like what he does so much. And this is his 27th album coming out March 1st. We just have to wait a couple more weeks, finally, to get focus on nature I wouldn't say all 27 are incredible, but man, a giant percentage of them are fantastic. Focus on Nature, I've only heard a couple songs for the same ones that I've played for you so far, the few singles he's put out, but the man's track record is just terrific. The man's name is Nick Solomon. He records under Beavis Fron. You can call him either one, I'm sure. Occasionally, he'll dip his toes in American waters and play some shows, but not very often. So if you get a chance, you should see him. But he does come out with records on a fairly regular basis. Uh, two years ago was another really good one called Little Eden. Anyway, from Focus on Nature, we heard Wrong Way Round. And Mr. Solomon sounds very good after Ride, and Ride sounds very good after Swerve Driver. They were both bands from the same place, Oxford in England in the late 80s, early 90s. The incredible shoegaze slash dream pop movement that I was so on to. I went crazy over those bands in our pages, and I still love it, and I'm so glad people are listening to that stuff now. And as such, the Ride song we heard was new, even though the Swerve Driver one was a reissue. Ride gave us Last Frontier, the second single they've released so far off of Interplay, which is another new record not coming out until March 29th, so another month until then. That'll be the third album they've put out since they reunited. They only had four when they were first around, and the fourth one they've kind of vaguely disowned. 
But I really liked uh, Weather Diaries. I really liked This Is Not A Safe Place, and I liked these two singles so far. And boy, was that band great again last month uh, playing with the Charlottes, even if they were doing the whole of their first album. And they ended with uh, the first single, off of uh, Interplay, so they're still making really good music to this day. Well, Sword Driver have, have not been heard from him in a couple of years, but uh, as I was saying last week, uh, Adam Franklin, the main singer-songwriter in the band, is a new band called Bolts of Melody, no longer the name of his backing band, but the name of his current band. And I played a track for you last week off that. I'm kind of alternating between uh, 99th Dream, the reissue of the 1998 fourth album, and his new record with Bolts of Melody, because they both came out at the same time. Kind of like uh, toggling back and forth between this reclaimed past and the current uh, subject matter. But uh, 99th Dream is a very good and very important reissue. It's kind of an underrated album. Uh, all four of Sword Driver's albums, all in the 90s, were just fantastic, just ones I couldn't stop playing back then and still love to this day. We heard Up From The Sea. That's a track from the proper album that just got reissued and remastered and what have you. But uh, there's two bonus discs that a fan would really want, especially the Live of the Mercury Lounge disc from a gig that I attended back then. And, uh, you know, odds and sods and rarities and unreleased tracks and things like that. So if you're a fan, it's a bonanza and you might want to get not only that three CD thing, but the new one as well. And we started that set with Bobby Parker. Watch Your Step was his classic single from 61. As I mentioned, the Beatles were covering that before they were famous and probably has um, helped uh, really generate some interest in that song throughout Britain. Although the British Invasion was full of people all kind of listening to the same records or hearing about records from the other bands and going crazy. All of them American. It, again, it's just so strange how we undervalued our own R&B records, our own rock and roll records, white and black equally here. Uh, we'd moved on to like other stuff, but the British knew what an absolute uh, cornucopia, what a smorgasbord, what a plethora that we were making here from like 1952 on uh, to the onset of all those English bands. And that song was really instrumental. As I said, uh, it was the basis quite clearly for um, the Beatles song, I Feel Fine, I Was Singing. Bobby Parker himself was not only influenced by Ray Charles' What I Say, which is where Ringo took the drum pattern from, but Parker was also influenced by a jazz track by Dizzy Gillespie called um, Meteca. I also think it sounds a lot like Leave My Little Kitten Alone, which is another track that the Beatles used to cover in their sets. In fact, uh, eventually their um, outtake from one of their albums got released in the 90s of that song. You may know that track. Uh, It's a really, really good one I've played for you before by Little Willie John. Uh, Bob Dylan and people like that have covered that. After the Beatles, the floodgates open. Uh, Led Zeppelin uh, did Moby Dick based on Watch Your Steps um, riff. The Almond Brothers had one, I think, called One Way Out. Uh, the Stones' 19th Nervous Breakdown sounds an awfully lot like that as well. Uh, the Yardbirds' I'm Not Talking, which I've played for you, and certain Pretty Things tracks as well. And then there's the 25 actual covers instead of ripoffs, or I shouldn't say ripoff, more like homages, uh, borrowings of that basic but really effective riff from Watch Your Step. Uh, Carlos Santana 
And that fabulous Thunderbirds record covered it in 83. But again, as it was the British invasion where it was bigger as the Spencer Davis group, Madford Mann, the Walker Brothers, and in the pub rock days of the 70s, Dr. Feelgood all had at that song. In 1995, the Kaisers did a very good version of Watch Your Step, too. Now, as for Bobby Parker, uh, he only recorded nine singles over 14 years from 56 to 69, so he was not a household name outside of Britain. But he was busy as an in-demand guitarist, playing with Bo Diddley, Sam Cooke, Jackie Wilson, and even Laverne Baker. Uh, this being his fourth single and the closest thing he came to a billboard hit going to number 51 in the charts. So not a, not a big deal in America at all. Sadly, he died in 2013. So uh, he can't be nudged that I'm playing his track, but uh, he certainly laid down a gigantic marker with that song, didn't he? Lastly, if you know the Mouttown hit, You Got What It Takes by Marv Johnson that went to number 10 in 1960, that was originally a Parker song, a B-side of his two years before in 1958 that he wrote himself. But Motown's Barry Gordy stole the songwriting credit when it was covered as if he had wrote it himself. And things like that are the reason why, as much as I absolutely adore Motown like the next person and admire what Barry Gordy gave us with that incredible label, I didn't have full respect for the man. You just can't do that. Just can't do stuff like that. It's so cruel. That song generated such a gigantic sum of money. It did not go to Parker. Well, Soapbox, I am off. Uh, Let's just go on with this show. Uh, Obviously, I was singing I Feel Fine, uh, the single, the eighth single the Beatles put out in England, back to She's a Woman. And uh, they uh, did not include their singles on their albums for the most part back then. Got stuck on the American version, though, which I grew up with, uh, what was called in England Beatles for Sale. The single was not a part of, but it when it came out here, it came out as Beatles 65, the first album I ever bought with my own money. $1.50 of mine and $1.50 of my brother Steve's was enough to come up with the two ninety nine that that album cost, um, cost in 1966 when we bought it when I was four years old at Corvette's, the Blue Star Shopping Mall in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. My mother paid the sales tax. I still have it as my name. I wrote my name on it, so it's not worth a goddamn. Plus, it's beat to heck. But it's a very, very distinct and nostalgic a little keepsake of mine to have the first album I ever bought. And uh, they did stick both sides of that single on that album. Time to thank our sponsors before we go on. Uh, and I can't stress this enough. If you are one of the sponsors and you enjoy this show, well, thank you for letting me do this. I hope you, if you are listening every week, you get your bang for what you're supporting because it's just such an honor and just so much fun to bring music to people here every week. Every every week I mention five folks who go to big um, patreon.com slash jackrabbit. That's my page. Pledge a small amount of money, usually like two bucks or five bucks or whatever. And the site charges their credit card that amount. They start every month. Such lovely crowdfunding. It really is. A good way to fund a radio show. Well, let me mention Stephen Spence. Tobin Sprout. Well, isn't that nice? <laughs> Not a big fan of his. He's helping keep me going. Mike Stevenson. Philip Sutton is also an excellent musician who's heard on this show from time to time. And Jeff Simons. So Stephen and Tobin, 
Mike, Philip, and Jeff, on behalf of all those sponsors, thank you for letting me be here every week. You're also uh, helping to fund the magazine. Uh, we will be hearing four bands later in the show interviewed in the new issue. You're helping to fund number 93 with Slow Dive on the cover. But I've talked way too much, and it's time to play you all some more music, whether you be a sponsor or not, especially when I've got this new album from Pete Astor in. Again, it uh, is not out yet. We're hearing a lot of pre-album singles this week, trying to be Johnny on the spot, but these are also people that I really, really like. I've been following for a while. March 15th is when the album Tall Stories and New Regions appears. But if you've been following Mr. Astor since the days of The Loft and The Weather uh, Weather Prophets in the early days of creation records in England, you know what a singer-songwriter he is. Well, he still is. No need to reach back to the 80s when you've got this new record. And uh, we are also going to be hearing new records from Dive and uh, Ducks Limited, another band I've never played for you before that's really doing great stuff. But here he is to kick us off, Pete Astor from Tall Stories in New Regions. Out March 15th, this song is called Chinese Cadillac.
so far uh, No cry oh, so far uh, Things will be sweet Sweet, sweet <laughs> No cry oh, so far uh, No cry Oh God Things will be sweet Sweet, sweet The art of a battle be The art of a battle be Of a sweeter the bitter be my love No cry, the utter, the utter No cry, sweet, sweet, sweet I know you get a sentence Gonna general penitentiary for what You don't know As a tribute for the innocent Keep the good faith We have to meet one more time No cry, oh so far No cry, oh so far Things will be sweet Sweeter, sweeter, sweeter in your sight No cry, no cry So far, things will be sweet Sweet, sweet <laughs> Let me hold and kiss you 
But they're just lending me the things I live without And it's my fault that I can't really hold you Yes, my ears should burn when fools are talked about What made me think I craved another's kisses Another so unworthy I found out And my arms should have no right to hold another Yes, my ears should burn when fools are talked about In dreams I hear her beg Don't leave me She loves me She loves me There's no doubt But my lips have no right To beg forgiveness Yes, my ears should burn When fools are talked about What made me think I craved another's kisses? Another so unworthy I found out And my arms should have no right to hold another Yes, my ears should burn when fools are talked about Vintage country music is still a gold mine for me. Uh, not only do I love it, but I find it really is virgin territory for a lot of rock music fans, underground punk rock, indie rock fans. And they often think the country just stinks. And I agree with them, it does. Just modern country. But there's just so many great records made in the 50s, 40s, 30s, 60s, even some 70s stuff, apart from old country that if people just heard them, they might really love them. That song is called My, er- uh, My Ears Should Burn, in parentheses, when fools are talked about. Pretty classic country conceit there. A single from 1961 by the great Claude Gray, a song that he got not from his own pen, but from the immortal Roger Miller. And uh, it was a huge hit for Mr. Gray. Went to number four in the country charts. The follow-up to his number three hit I've already played for you called I'll Just Have a Cup of Coffee, Then I'll Go, if that sounds familiar. He only had three or four really big hits. I've played you another one, which I think is really, really great. But uh, not massive star, but certainly one who made his share of really excellent records, as did Roger Miller. Gray died 10 months ago, aged 91. Uh, Miller himself had had two country hits up to that point, so he also was not a gigantic big deal. And in many respects, was kind of like Willie Nelson, making his own records and writing songs that other people in country were doing. But he, of course, would explode into more public view outside of just country music four years later on his big crossover hit, King of the Road. 
You can also find Claude Gray's recording on an album called Songs of Broken Love Affairs, which also came out at that same time in 1961. Well, reggae is another thing I like playing for you if it's really good. Uh, I don't love all reggae, but I love it when it gets into a groove like that. That was Culture before Claude Gray, in this case, backed by Roots Radix Band from their 1988 album, Nuff Crisis. We heard Don't Cry, Sufferer, an album of songs arranged by the famous Sly and Robbie, while Joseph Hill was still alive. He's an especially great singer, I think, as he was right up to his death in 2006 when Culture was on tour in Berlin, Germany, which was sorry, um, alongside original returning co-singers Kenneth Days and Albert Walker from the mid-'70s beginnings of that band. They'd uh, split apart for a while and come back. After uh, Mr. Hill's death, his son Kenyatta ended up replacing him, and there still is a version of culture with both Kenyatta and Walker. And these days, uh, there's also Telford Nelson instead of Kenneth Days. But uh, when I reach for culture, I tend to go for their classic album, Two Sevens Clash, the one that, uh, the, the Clash themselves were quite drawn to, apart from the name of the album, the uh, quality of the music. But uh, um, maybe the mid-'70s was a vintage classic time for reggae, but some of the bands still had a clue. Not all of them, but uh, some of them went on to do great stuff thereafter. There's a good example of that in Enough Crisis there. Before that, we heard two straight requests from Elizabeth Klizowitz. As I said, she's always keeping me on my toes. She's already made her case for Lumari. I jotted that one down in my notes as one I think is fantastic. And I may uh, indeed be playing you many, many tracks from In Phases before this show kicks the bucket someday, but uh, she keeps sending me requests for them, and as is always the case, she is right on the money of what I should be playing for you next. That was Starlet from the album In Phases, from the Minneapolis Force, confronted by Margot Pearson. Indeed, it's fantastic stuff. Whereas Dazed is her entry this week of a band I'd never heard of. Uh, they're an Australian guy. Well, they're not really a group. They're really a guy, but uh, um, Mr. John Prendergast Prendergast, I guess is no, sorry, Josh Prendergast has been going for a good decade now out of Melbourne with that name Dazed, D-A-Y-Z-E-D. Though it was all just EPs and a handful of singles from 2014 to 2017, and then nothing until early last year when a whole bunch more singles predated his first ever album. Uh, and uh, so on his Bandcamp page, you can find uh, the album called Wake Up the Sun. We heard from that, a single from that called Sometimes. All right. Now, uh, I was being, as I am sometimes, too clever by half playing Dazed or Dazed. I think it's Dazed. After Dive, because it's very clear if you read that Bandcamp page of Mr. Prendergast that he's a huge Dive fan. And it's a uh, the uh, American band Dive, which is here in Brooklyn, is a big influence on him. So, uh, well, also the I guess it's no surprise in that case that the two tracks fit together. But um, Mr. Prendergast could never have heard the new Dive record because it just came out this week. 
He's probably referring to their previous three albums. Well, the fourth album is finally coming out, May 24th. Only their fourth LP in 12 years from that Brooklyn band, and the first in five years since Deceiver, if you remember that third album. The band's still led by Zachary Cole Smith, and the new album is going to be called Frog in Boiling Water. And from that, we heard the only single off it so far. Just came out this week, Brown Paper Bag. So there you go. Ducks Limited, before that, as promised, they gave us Hollowed Out from their album, Harm's Way. That is a brand new Toronto jangle pop duo led by the singer and rhythm guitarist Tom McGreevy and lead guitarist Evan Lewis. They had a previous album, uh, but the new second album just came out 10 days ago. And there is not only a review of it already on our website, but an interview with um, the band. And a couple of my other writers have been telling me how great they are. And uh, I had my notes to check them out anyway, based on the promo I was sent looking it over. But uh, this is one of those cases where I agree with consensus. Sometimes a lot of people tell me I should check out a band. I get like uh, anticipating like, wow, all these people like them. And I listen to it and I say, I don't get it. It happens to all of us. Or maybe I don't get it right away. Sometimes just I just don't understand it or I don't hear it. But I hear it in this case. Ducks Limited. Excellent band, judging from what I've heard so far. And Pete Astor started off that set with Chinese Cadillac. Again, it's March 15th. We've got to wait another month before Tall Stories and New Regions comes out from the former leader of the Loft and Weather Prophets. Doing great solo work. Well, let's carry on with the show. I talked a little less that set. we probably be saying hallelujah to that. And uh, the next set is going to be all old songs because it's going to be the third quarter of the tape I played for you the last two weeks. We heard the first two quarters of The Many Moods of Jack Rabbit, Volume 34 from February 26, 2002. And I don't want to bore you folks if you listen every week and you've heard this spiel already. It was a whole series of tapes I made from 1996 till about 2006. I was making one a month there for a while where I just alternated brand new songs and old songs on a 90-minute cassette and then I hand them to like 30 or 40 of my friends who'd all enjoy it in those days before the internet where you actually had to own the CDs and records to make these tapes. <laughs> so I was just dipping into the, my personal collection of stuff I was listening to in that given month, brand new and old, and just you know, just alternating them, A and B. So the tracks you're going to be hearing now are the second side of that tape, out of the, some 38 or so I made. And one of my favorites of all of them. I constantly listen to this tape. It's so much fun. So this is what you would have gotten if you turned the tape over and started with side B, or well, at least the first half of side B. It kicks off with a brand new record by uh, the ailing Joey Ramone, who would soon die. He put out his first solo album called Don't Worry About Me. Uh, as it turns out, we were all worried about him. <laughs> so, and uh, he was covering the Louis Armstrong standard. Louis didn't write it himself, of course, but uh, he'd done the original version of his song and become um, the definitive version right from the get-go of the 930 released i kid you not 930 released versions of this song not just done live not just recorded recorded and released you know the song what a wonderful world well it was joey's ultimate parting statement that he was glad he was alive and hopefully that's how we all feel about our lives if we're lucky 
not so bad being a Ramon in many respects, bringing so much joy to so many people, including me when I was a teenager. I saw the Ramones about eight or nine times and just gorged on those first four albums. used to play them so loud I'd make the freaking walls of my suburban house shake. It was the only way you could listen to Ramones as a teenager. Well, here it is. Uh, as I say, it's the brand new tracks from late 2001 and early 2002, which are now 22 years old, followed by much older songs and then back and forth. Joey Ramone here with his unbelievably classic, in my view, Ramones-esque version of What a Wonderful World. <laughs>
difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. You know what I mean? Yeah.
Unmistakable, absolutely incredible punk rock there. That was the Saints. I would put them in the top ten of any punk rock list you could possibly make. Those first two albums are just incredible, astonishing. 
just unforgettable. Champagne misery, however, was not to be found in either one of them. It was an outtake. The only outtake I'm aware of, of in terms of song as opposed to recording, from the second album, the best album the Saints ever made, Eternally Yours, released in 1978. Recorded in late 77 after the band moved from Sydney, where they had moved from Brisbane, over across the world to London, uh, where they were much better appreciated. The um, punk rock scene in London had exploded and it had not quite exploded in Australia, apart from a few bands like the Saints and the Victims and Radio Birdmen. I guess X. There was a few bands coming around in 76, but very few. The Saints had been going since 73. They were really a proto-punk band, if you heard their early 74 recordings of the same songs. But Champagne Misery just was left on the cutting board. It was uh, done in the same sessions there with Bill Price, who had also recorded The Clash, their first album, and The Sex Pistols' first album, along with Chris Thomas. And he was the manager and prime engineer of Wessex Studios. The Saints was, was, however, the best-sounding record he ever made. That record is just stunning. Just stunning. I wish Champagne Misery had been put on there, the vagaries of vinyl in those days. They felt like there was only so much room without uh, um, having to cram too many uh, grooves tighter together, which hurt the sound quality. I won't bore you with it if you don't understand the technology of uh, records in those days. But yeah, they left it off for no good reason. You had to wait until the release in 2000, only a year and a half before the tape that I'm speaking of. When they came out with it as part of a compendium in Australia, a triple CD, I think it was, or a double CD, called Wild About You, 1976 to 1978, Complete Studio Recordings. And that was the first time I got a chance to hear that track. It was eventually placed on various other compendiums, uh, and including properly the CD reissue of Eternally Yours. Uh, you could find it on there. And the... Um, the phrase Champagne Misery ended up a prime lyric on the third Saints album on a song called Every Day is a Holiday, Every Night's a Party. So Chris Bailey, the singer and lyricist in that band, was obviously remembering the concept. It may have been something he used. A lot of times when Chris would write lyrics, he would have these phrases like that, and he would use them when you talk to him, too, because Chris was a friend of mine. He used to dine with them all the time with my ex-girlfriend, uh, got to be very friendly with him in London and New York and other places. And uh, that was just, he had all these kind of phrases like that he would use. But uh, rest in peace, Chris Bailey, and also the bassist on that track, uh, Algie Ward. Sadly, they are both dead now. They both died this decade in the last couple of years, which is really sad. Though Ed Cooper is still alive, and he's just come out with a lost album of his from 30 years ago that I hope to visit on this show soon, and uh, as is the drummer, Ivor Hayes. So um, may they live to be a ripe old age. Before that, we heard Gene. That was a new track at the time. Uh, I had no way of knowing when I made that tape. It would be the last album Gene made. They only made four. 
Libertine was the new album at that time, and we heard the first single from it called Is It Over? The fourth album sounded just as great to me as the first three. In fact, it was produced by my favorite producer of that entire era, Hugh Jones. And yet, for some reason, the band was falling out of favor with the British public, in part because they had far less promotion. Uh, The first three albums were in Polydor, a major label there, and they had a nice following here. But uh, they parted ways with Polydor, a mutual mutual parting, and I don't know why, because all three of their albums were really good charting, um, usually top 20 variety, and uh, making money. So I'm not sure why they had that split. They didn't tour Libertine over here that I remember, so I never got a final chance to interview the band one last time and ask them. But uh, the album only went to number 92 in the UK LP chart for a band that was used to the top 20, so I wasn't surprised when they called it a day thereafter. But they certainly were anything but a spent force in terms of their creativity and the just fantastic music they made. I've always been sorry they never reunited. I know it's been 20 years now, and they've shown no inclination towards it, no rumors, no anything, and the singer Martin Rossiter doesn't seem interested, so probably never going to happen. You probably recognize the uh, uh, older voice of Sir Paul McCartney before that. We heard From a Lover to a Friend from his 2001 album, Driving Rain. So again, that was a brand new album when they made that tape. All of us just assumed he was writing about his late wife, Linda McCartney, as she died just three years before that with lyrics like um, From a Lover to a Friend, uh, Help Me Love Again. But uh, he actually said when he's been interviewed, that he had actually no idea what the lyrics to that were about. It was an unfinished song, and they just decided to record it. Uh, he, he never really did finish the lyrics to it in that sense, and he liked it. So fair enough. He's the guy who wrote it. I'm not going to argue with him. Now, Mission of Burma did not have a new record in 2002, but uh, they did have a new reunion tour. So that was prominent on my mind when I put on that song, Max Ernst, before Paul McCartney on that tape. The B-Side, their first 7-inch single back in 1979-1980, Academy Fights song. And what a show that was, seeing Mission of Burma for the first time since 1983. It's been a good 20 years. I went up to Boston and saw him at the Paradise. I saw him in New York at... uh, Yes, it was Irving Plaza. I went up to Boston and interviewed them along with seeing the Paradise show. Ran it as a two-parter in my magazine. Now, do you know who Max Ernst was? He was a prominent German Dada painter. So that's why they're chanting that word, Dada. He was also a sculptor, and he'd only died just four years before that song in 1976. And to bring it to the current day... Uh, you may know that uh, Jason Narducci, who I've mentioned a lot on this show, just finished a big tour with a whole bunch of interesting guys like John Worcester from Superchunk on drums, where they did the whole of the first REM album, Murmur, as a live tribute show. In fact, uh, when they did it in Georgia, I think three members of REM joined them on stage for a song, which I think was pretty incredibly cool. And at the Boston show, uh, the bassist and singer of the song, um, That's When I Reach for My Revolver, and uh, I guess uh, Academy Fight Song, joined them on stage just last week to sing Academy Fight Song because that was one of the songs that the young R.E.M. used to cover all the time and released a version of on a Christmas single back when you were a member of the fan club. You'd get one every December, and I got that because I was a member for a few years. 
So that ties that old tape into now. Rufus Wainwright, before that, gave us Grey Gardens from his 2001 second LP called Poses. You probably, if you're a movie buff, know that Grey Gardens was a 1975 documentary film. And that obviously influenced the song there by Rufus Wainwright, although he added bits from Thomas Mann's Death in Venice. Uh, According to the Wikipedia page, it says it's written as if Tadzio, a character from the novel, is in the Beale's mansion, and Wainwright himself is Little Edie Beale. Now, if you know the documentary Little Edie and Big Edie, where mother and daughter Beale's, formerly wealthy, and in fact the aunt and first cousin of Jacqueline Kennedy and Onassis. So if that word Beale sounds familiar, that's why. But they were living in a rundown mansion in the Hamptons here in New York, and they were threatened with eviction until, uh, well, their first cousin and their uh, niece, Jackie, helped pay for repairs to keep them from being thrown out of that house. So very interesting documentary and an interesting basis for Rufus Wainwright's song. Wicked Pickett, the incredible Wilson Pickett. I saw him live a good eight or nine times. He gave us 99 and a half. Won't do. Just won't do, he says. Gotta have 100. A single from the exciting Wilson Pickett album in 1966, his third album. And as was so often the case with Mr. Pickett, he was on both charts. Number 13 on the R&B chart. Just missed out on having a pop hit. Went to number 53. Although if you know Creedence Clearwater Revival's version, it was good no matter who did that song. Typical, uh, very insistent, boastful, and uh, uh, saucy song from the Wicked Pickett. He could do that like nobody's business. And the set began with Joey Ramone's What a Wonderful World from his only solo album just before he died. It was a brand new record when I made that tape in 2002 called Don't Worry About Me. As I mentioned, it was a Louis or Louis Armstrong standard. Uh, he didn't write it. It was written by Bob Thiel as George Douglas and George David Weiss. They gave it to Armstrong. He did the very first version of it. He set the standard for all time. And again, to bring it to the modern age, I played you a new track by TSOL last week from an album they have upcoming, and they cover it on that record. I warn you, I don't think much of their version having played it once. But it just goes to show the staying power, because that will make it, uh, what did I say, there's been um, 930 released versions, that'll make it 931, (laughs) if no one else (laughs) releases a cover between now and the next couple months. Now, I can't read you the list of all 930 people who have done that song, other than Ramon and Armstrong or 931 when you include TSOL. But uh, uh, I would say the other versions that I like, apart from Satchmo, would have to be Tony Bennett and, let's see, Willie Nelson. Those are the other two I recommend. As it happens, Armstrong's version went to number one in the UK, and yet here it was a giant stiff, despite his fame and all his chart success, including Hello, Dolly. When it came out in 67, it uh, went to something like a number 150 or 160 in the charts. It wasn't for another two decades when he was long dead. He, he died in like 71, I think it was, when the song was included in the movie Good Morning Vietnam, when it finally became a big hit in America. And that just is ridiculous. Although I read up on it not too long ago and discovered that the um, guy who signed him to the label, the new label he'd signed with, was hoping for something up-tempo 
like Hello Dolly. And when he heard this kind of beautiful ballad, got mad and <laughs> tried to stop the recording session and they threw him out. So that was not a good start to the new label and the new label head. And uh, in a fit of peak, apparently, he refused to promote the record. And how stupid was that? People and their damn egos. Well, I'm going to just go on and play you some more music because I, I could just talk about music all day long, as you can probably tell. Hopefully not bore the pants off you because hopefully all this stuff is interesting to you. But I've got absolutely nothing to say about the first song we're about to play in this next track, except that um, the first four bands in this next um, set are all related to the new issue Big Takeover, as promised. Number 93. I'd say they were all interviewed in the magazine, but I have to make a uh, qualification because the second band, Velocity Girl, is not interviewed. They're just mentioned prominently as the kind of star of Jeff Kelson's editorial about uh, in, um, American indie pop making a kind of comeback because Velocity Girl did this triumphant show selling out way in advance the Bowery Ballroom September 30th last year. Some of that stuff is coming back into vogue. But uh, likewise, Dungeons of Skeletons is not interviewed in this issue, but uh, they actually all are quoted in the other editorial on the issue that I didn't write myself by S.W. Lawden, where he was talking about the Fountains of Wayne album, Welcome Interstate Managers. So I have several quotes from the band, including their singer, singer Emily Klein, and that led me to check out Dungeons of Skeletons music since they're so influenced by an album I rate so highly. And sure enough, I like them as well. We heard two other bands, in fact, that Loudon has mentioned and quoted in that article on this show in the last some weeks. But Dungeons of Skeletons is making their big takeover show um, debut here right now. Again, you're listening to The Big Takeover Show on RealPunkRadio.com. I'm your host, Jack Rabbit. We're also going to hear the Armoires, whose Rex and Christina are, are interviewed in this issue in conjunction with their label, Big Stir Records. And we're also going to hear Crime and the City Solution. But to kick us off from their only album to date, 2022's Patterns, December 2022, I believe it is. Here's Nashville's great power pop band, Dungeons, Dungeons of Skeletons. This song is called Gonna Be All Right. Wait and see. 
for explanation. Got no time to lose. Tomorrow night you'll find me sleeping underneath the moon at Yellow River. Cannon fire lingers in my mind, and I'm so glad that I'm still alive. And I've been gone for such a long time from Yellow River. across the year and to you who've been so
strangled by life I hid away Life unlived I'm afraid to give I'm afraid to give I'm afraid to give Will there be In my time Will there be peace In my Tomorrow, as you are today, talking with no. 
nothing else to say Is this the price we have to pay? Times that called our next band uh, dangerous, and they have a brand new album out. It's right here. No, that's what the New York Times said. Uh, we are dangerous. No, but they're also dangerous. Right, we and yeah. they are dangerous. Uh, the name of the album, the same as the band, uh, Flat Duo Jets. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome them, the Flat Duo Jets. Oh, kids. Oh, wow, 
control my body As your left repeats, hey, once you get the swing, I know that you can't stop. A wiggle hop and beat into the bullfrog hop. A booby, a wee, a wee, ba 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 booby, da wee, doodly, 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 boom, 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 ba 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 a baba, a little Down in Louisiana in the land of romance. All the Zorch people got a funny new dance. A simple little wiggle with a hop and the beat. All the cats are jumping and a beating their feet. A boogie woogie rhythm with a touch of beep bop. And everybody's calling it the bullfrog hop. First you hold your hands up like a kangaroo. Then you bend your knees and hoppy hop one, two. Now wiggle on your left foot while your right one beats. Now try it on your right foot as your left repeats. Hey, once you get the swing, I know that you can't stop. A wiggle hop and beat into the pool. Frog hop. Boy, it's a hot one, I'm telling you. That's the third time this show that I've paired two songs that just seem to fit together really, really well. Obviously, the ties between Ride and Swerve Driver earlier, as well as the um, perhaps too clever um, pairing of Dive and uh, the band Dazed, or or Day Z, the guy, anyway, who's so influenced by Dive. But they're... Yeah, I was going to pay tribute to the flat duo Jets anyway because their singer-guitarist Dex Rum Weber died this week. And I just wanted to pair it with something that made similar music back in the 1950s. That would be Nervous Norvis there, the second time I've played you a song by Nervous Norvis on this show. Like most people, I suppose, I came across him by being a regular listener to the Dr. Demento show in the late 70s, early 80s. And the track that I've played you before called Transfusion was one that I remember hearing quite often from the good doctor. 
Nervous Norvis was really a guy named Jimmy Drake, and he used to write his own songs, including the follow-up we heard there. We didn't hear the A-side, though. Transfusion was Nervous Norvis's first single. The second one was called The Fang, and we heard the B-side there called Bullfrog Hop. Very similar fare. As I mentioned, you, uh, Dr. Demento in, um, in part got the idea of calling himself that by playing stuff like Nervous Norvis and being told he had to be demented to play songs like that on the air. But these days we think of Mr. Drake or Nervous Norvis as a pioneering guy in the field of psychobilly, which was not a thing. It was not a term anybody would have used in the 50s. But uh, if you hear groups like the Cramps, or White Stripes, or Flat Duo Jets for sure, you maybe think of the psychobilly pioneer, Jimmy Drake. Pretty good record there, and as I said, it just seemed to fit so well after Flat Duo Jets. Rest in peace, Dex. I never met him. I felt like I knew him because I um, had met his sister quite often when she was in Let's Active in the 80s, and now both of them are dead. In fact, of the uh, seven children, Ron Weber children, uh, all three prominent musicians are dead now, sadly, as is a fourth one. So there's only three left. And the mother died. She was a pianist and infused her love of music to the entire family. She died very recently, too. So a lot of sadness in the Ron Weber fam- family. Their older brother, Joe, was a singer himself in some North Carolina bands like Eraserhead and UV Prom, who released a mini LP in 85, produced by Don Dixon and mixed by Mitch Easter from Let's Active, same people who were so active uh, recording the early REM to bring them back in the picture. And Joe also had two more albums with Prom Weather. Their older brother, Luke, is also dead, though I'm not aware of any records he made. But Sarah was quite obviously in not only uh, Let's Active. She joined them at age 17 in 1981 at their founding with Mitch Easter and Faye Hunter and played on their classic earliest records, which is when I met her and had fun talking to her and hanging out with those folks. And she played in Snatches of Pink, then with Dex himself uh, in the Dex Rom Weber duo. She unfortunately died five years ago of a brain tumor. So um, uh, I'm really sorry to hear that Dex is dead. We heard a track from Flat Duo Jets, the band he was most known for. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, One of the things they did so well was to do so many good covers, much like the Cramps, bringing some obscure old 50s songs of that like to modern audiences. And they wrote their own material that sounded just as classic. And that was an evidence there. Their own song, Wild Wild Lover, from their self-titled first album that they were promoting then in 1990. There, uh, Crow and him, they were just a duo uh, playing along with the Paul Schaefer band. Back then in the late 80s and early 90s, it was a proviso that if you were going to appear on David's show, you had to let Paul Schaefer's band sit in with you. Uh, Sometimes it worked out really well, like there, where it filled out the band a bit. Or like Billy Bragg when he'd show up and didn't have a band. Some bands refused to do it, I think. <laughs> like the Laws, I think, refused to do that. I can't remember. There were some other people who just said, no, we're, we're a band. We're self-contained unit. We're not going to jam with David Letterman's band. But uh, uh, they were always pretty good, I think, when they would join bands. They'd, they'd get the grip on what it is the band was doing and just add on. And that, that was a good case of it there. And You could definitely hear the wildness, the wild, wild 
Dex Ron Weber, who died just two days ago, apparently of natural causes, uh, in a statement that the family let out. So may he rest in peace. Always a good live performer. Before that, we heard Gary Walker in the Rain. That was that very interesting track called The View, a single um, found on an album called Album Number One in 1968. And talk about obscure, not the artist. The artist was quite famous for a short while, at least um, in a famous band, but not so much with The Rain. Let me explain. Uh, Gary Walker was a drummer and vocalist in both the Standells and, for our purposes, the famous band I'm referring to is the Walker Brothers, who were a huge hit band from 1964 till their breakup in 68. Whenever I think of the Walker Brothers, I always mention that a full decade before the Ramones, none of them were Walkers and none of them were brothers. <laughs> so there was a precedent for the four brothers Ramon from Forest Hills. Uh, the English Walker brothers were just really great and really English. And then when they split up, Gary Walker fought, formed Gary Walker in the rain, and they didn't get much done. They put out a couple of English singles, which failed to chart, even though the band included a pre-Ivy's, pre-Badfinger, Joey Molland along with Charles Paul Crane on lead vocals and guitar and John Lawson on bass. But uh, the other two singles they put out were completely unavailable in England, as was their only album. And there was no second album. The single we heard there and the album were only released in Japan. And the uh, album these days, you're lucky if you can find one, they fetch over $2,000. They're that rare. And the single, probably like $80, $90, And I just can't... Uh, there's always records like this I play for you. I just underst- don't understand uh, what record companies were thinking, especially in England where they were better about signing really good talent and promoting really good talent. Nobody gave a chance to this guy who had been in such a famous band just a year or two before. Two little singles that didn't chart, and that's it. You're out on your ear. The record company decisions mystify me to this day. Well, Crime in the City Solution, I promised you. They were interviewed by Susan Mole, at least Simon Bonney was, in our current issue, 93. They have a new album out called The Killer, and we heard from that a song called Peace in My Time. I mentioned a artist from Melbourne in the last set. Well, Simon Bonney formed the band in Sydney in 1977. They have obvious ties to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. The album Wars before that gave us Yellow River. That's their most recent album, Incognito, in 2021. Rex Broom and Christina Bulbenka are not only the leaders of that band, but the leaders of the fabulous label Big Stir and Elizabeth Klesiewicz filed a story on that label. The band features Christina's daughter Larissa on viola, along with bassist Clifford Ulrich and drummer John Borak. So whether as recording artists or as label heads, they always bring the uh, good cheer, to use that word again, uh, and really excellent music. And they seem to fit very well after Velocity Girl. Again, I should be clear that we do not have an interview with uh, um, any of the members of Velocity Girl, two of whom I knew from other bands, uh, a group that Springhouse, my old band, played with on three different occasions in three different states. I think uh, uh, New York and uh, D.C. and um, 
well, that's kind of a state, and uh, Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. But we heard Marzipan by that group from their 1994 album, Sorry Again, because they were mentioned so prominently as the stars of Jeff Kelson's editorial in the current issue, 93. You should read it. It's a really good piece. And Dungeons of Skeletons kicked that off with Gonna Be All Right from Patterns, their only album coming out of Nashville. Again, they were quoted extensively in S.W. Lawden's editorial about um, the Fountains of Wayne album, Welcome Interstate Managers. And uh, singer Emily Klein from Dungeons of Skeletons, in fact, told Mr. Loudon in our pages, quote, it's one of those albums that we could all agree on listening to during our road trips because it's just that good. And you know what? Uh, somebody's probably going to say that about you, Miss Klein, and your album in a couple of decades from now. You never know. Well, that kind of, that's going to bring the show that you're listening to to conclusion. I have one more song to play for you. We're going to leave you off with a Marianne Faithful track. I mentioned I was going to uh, end last week's show with this track, but I bumped it to this week when I heard about uh, a third death <laughs> last week that I was not expecting. Uh, both uh, Damon Suzuki from Can and Jerry Lee Lewis's drummer, Jimmy Van Eaton, uh, both died on Saturday, just as I was putting the playlist together. And then this week on Saturday is when Dexter Romweber died. There's just been too much of that lately. As I said, people from all over my record collection are starting to die on me in droves. But uh, Mary Ann Faithful is going to kick us or um, conclude us today with a track from her 1966 first album. The album North Country Made, the song Sally Free and Easy, written by Cyril Tawney back in 1958 and released by him in 1963. This song immediately became a Brit folk standard via Davy Graham, a guitarist I've often played for you, in early 65, and Pentangle did a famous version of it in 1972 among the 20 released covers of this song. But I think of all of them, oddly, it's Marianne Faithful who recorded my favorite version of any of them. And uh, her voice, there's something about her voice, you know. I know at that time she was just thought of as Mick Jagger's girlfriend who had a hit record because she was doing a a Jagger Richards song. Not a bad connection there. But you know what? She's proved it not only at that time, but since that she had plenty of her own talent and did not need to be associated uh, with uh, one of the most famous bands of her era to get by. Not that uh, it it doesn't hurt or anything, you know, the step stool to success instead of the ladder to success and all that. But uh, she really was great, as you'll hear from the timbre of her voice on this track. My thanks go out, as ever, to Jim Santo. He's the one who posts these shows at BigTakeOver.com slash radio, so you can hear them as often as you like, anytime you like. Just cut out the mic breaks, because there is a playlist there. You can make a mixtape out of it. Thanks to Tommy, who runs this station. Does a great job keeping it going for all of us. Thanks to you for listening, because otherwise, what would be the point? Thanks to the sponsors who make it possible for me to be here every week and keep the magazine going, too, and allow me to play tracks like this one. With this, I will say so long, and uh, with Marianne Faithful, Sally Free and Easy, I say thanks again for listening, and I will see you all again next Monday. Bye-bye. Sally free and easy That should be her name 
ce charme autrichien et à ton père ce flegme britannique. On te dit aussi la petite nièce de Mazoche, le créateur <rire> du masochisme. Est-ce que cette descendance te plaît Oh, je préfère le marquis de Sade. 